Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics, mainly the British ones. I'm Eamon Clark, and returning to the book club is from the 2080 forums you know him as Colin YNWA. He's Colin Taylor. Colin, hello and welcome back. Hello and thank you for having me back, Eamon. Absolute pleasure to be here. Well, it's it's great delight to have you back because last time we did Outcast, episode 183, Outcast, the wonderful Wagner Grant and Cam Kennedy series. Since then, I think I got the chance to speak to John Wagner about it at a convention and ask him about a reprint. And as you know, he said that DC is apparently just not interested in doing a collection of it. And it's a shame because I know a lot of, of the... The sort of the, the contracts at a time were on a sort of like if we're reprinting it, then it stays. Hence the Watchmen and all of the, the controversies around that. And I know there's been a few of us that have been on similar contracts that have, have lapsed because they haven't been reprinted. DC is not interested, and they lapse back to the, the the people who created it, and, and it's got to reprint. And it's just a shame that that's not on because yeah, it, it's such a great piece of work, and I imagine Rebellion and couldn't be bothered to to pay whatever DC would demand for it, and and it's a shame that it sits quietly in the the ether. Um, <clears throat> getting still ignored, and I'm sure there's, well, there is an audience for it because, as we've discussed, it's a 2000 day story in a different form, and one day it will find that audience, I'm sure. But easy to pick up on the aftermarket, so if anybody wants to read it, still highly recommended. Indeed, absolutely, it is out there. You can pick up the issues, and it is a, a great read. And uh, yeah, you know, Alan Grant's no longer with us. John, thankfully, is. Cam Kennedy's not been so well right, lately, yeah. and I hope he's uh, doing better. But yeah, track it down yeah, if you can. We are at that stage where I know the, 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 the one that I listened to this evening from the latest podcast that's out as we record. Yeah, you were talking about Ian Gibson, and it's it's getting all too frequent now that we're losing these these people that we've we've nothing but respect and and, and, and love for. and. Yeah, we don't want another one to go while some of their works aren't aren't out there for folks to enjoy and see. Mm, absolutely. I mean, since we recorded that episode, John M. Burns sadly passed yes. away as well. Yeah. Um, you know, another fantastic artist. I was just finishing off a, a reread of, of Nikolai Dante when that, that news broke and getting to the end of that run. And Yeah. Yeah, I mean, an, an, an astonishing talent. John M. Burns is, is someone that, that yeah, just, just an absolute giant of the field. Um, love his work. Not just in two hours a day. There's, there's a really good Facebook site that has um, lots of his stuff and the diversity of the things he's done from newspaper strips to all sorts of uh, 70s TV reprint stuff. The man was just phenomenally diverse and we were very lucky to have his quantity of work in, in two hours a day, but specifically with Dancy to have a something, a, a body work that, I don't think I've ever seen anyone's story so associated with two artists with quite in quite the same way with, with, with almost equal respect for both and many Simon Fraser, the mm. creator, and therefore you know kudos to that. But John Aaron Burns came along and is acknowledged to almost be as as almost as valuable as, as Simon Fraser to that strip, and in some of the things he did in there were just phenomenal. And it's. Um, it's just one piece of work that he did, but it's one that I think really stands the testament to to, to the just the brilliance of his work and the diversity of things he could do from raging battle screen streams to you know romantic leading ladies. I suppose is a mm. horrible. 
male toxic masculinity, masculinity way to say that, but but he, he was a phenomenal artist with just a great range and and and, and much missed. Yeah, very sad. Let us turn to today's book because we've got lots to talk about. Um, I have put out this idea of one day covering all British comics, or at least a sample of all British comics. All to yourself. Yes, a rod <laughs> for my own back. But you have helped me out with my rod by picking up one of the comics. Tell us, what are we covering today, Colin? So the comic I'd like to cover is is The Phoenix, the weekly story comic, as to give it its full title. Um, a UK comic that's been coming out for over 10 years now, over 600 issues, 612 is one that came this weekend. I meant to grab the, the boy's copy uh, before coming downstairs. I've not read that one yet, actually. Uh, yeah, and, 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 and an absolute uh, masterpiece of all ages, anthology comic books. Discussed. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Well, we've chosen the first Phoenix Colossal Comics Collection, Volume 1, um, which I'm just checking on the back. You're quite right. It says from David Ficklin Books, The Phoenix and Scholastic, which I think are the American publishers, aren't they? That's my understanding of the, the, the relationship. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on that, but certainly they, they, they signed up with Scholastic in 2017. It's David Ficklin Books, which apparently was an imprint of Random House, but I no longer find any reference to Random House any of the, the trades that come out. Uh, and you bought one last week for the boy child. Um, we got a signed copy of a, a Jamie Smart Bunny versus Monkey thing that landed in my local comic shop. And um, I found no reference to, to Random House in any of the back issues. I was trying to find the adventure and all that. So it looks to be David Fiddling books, Scholastic in America and with the, the collections. And the collection we have was a collection of earlier stories, some of which have been reprinted elsewhere, some of which have, as far as I'm aware, never been reprinted elsewhere, but gives a really nice sense of the, the diversity of, of strips and, and, and cartooning in, in the Phoenix uh, in its weekly glorious doses. Excellent stuff. So it is a 2018 collection. Uh, I think it's listed at about £16, but as you pointed out, particularly when we get later on and talk about collections and back issues, you can find a lot of this stuff a lot cheaper in the second-hand uh, or selling-on market, can't you? Absolutely. The aftermarket for the Phoenixes, and I'll talk a bit more toward the end, but it, it's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of good cheap comics out there that if folks are, are fancying a sample, um, you can pick up these trades or, or you could just go to the aftermarket and probably a local jumble sale or whatever jumble sales are called to people not of our generation <laughs> car boot sales or whatever they've become um and, and uh, you know there'll be a lot of them out there which we'll talk a bit more about later okay well before we get to what the phoenix is and its history tell us a little bit about why you chose it why it means something to you and your family yeah so i mean firstly it, it, it's I think within the, 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 the UK marketplace or what I see discussed in UK, it, it's overlooked. It's a comic that's been going out for 14 years, over 600 issues, and yet we still get told that 2000 is the last uh, comic standing. Um, the Bean is out there as well, of course. And it sort of sits a little bit in between those. So it's a comic that's out there that's coming out producing. It, it, it is a, it's a strip-based comic. There's, it is, you know, it's not just puzzles and games. There is... 20-odd pages of strip every week, comes out without fail, didn't miss a beat during COVID, for example, came out. And it's been doing that for, for uh, over 10 years, as I say. 
and we just don't talk about it enough. It's there. It's kind of available on the bookshelves of of of, of, of uh, news agents as we'll get to. So there's that aspect. We just need to be talking about this comic more. I think it's really interesting to talk about it in the context of regime and the fact that you know Two Fast Years is, is experimenting with this young adult market and, and and where it fits in in that context. And and more importantly, if you'll bear with me, I can talk to you in the way that you normally talk to me about the 2000 AD origin story. I can talk to you a little bit about about my personal origin story with the the Phoenix and and um, yeah, why it's so important because you know I've got two children: boy, child, girl, child. Girl, child being the older, boy, child being the younger. And I was aware of the Phoenix, and I was just trying to get my kids into to. They were pretty good at reading, but I was just trying to get them into. I'm you know. I'm a comic nerd, so I was trying to get them into my comic nerdery, and it seemed like a good gateway drug. So from issue 318, so literally almost 300 issues ago now, got a subscription. Uh, the boy child was seven then, the girl child was nine, and we literally used to lie on the floor of the front room, and I'd read it to them. And it was just – it was good to share that sort of – that experience of reading with them, that weekly fix, that genuine excitement when it landed to see it in – the kids' way, in, in the way that in my generation it was what we had, it was how we engaged with all fictions in all sorts of ways. But to see that still exist within kids that have got all these other distractions was fantastic. Anyway, the girl child gets older, gets mardier, start to look at the moon as we saw us as we started this recording. Um, and so she stopped reading with us, although she does every so often still sneak a, a peek, I've noticed, in, in, as, as we go through. And and the boy now reads on his own. He he's taken that, and he's he now takes us to his room when it comes. He reads it, possibly now because he's you know he's he's getting to an age whereby he's at the upper end of its if its age rate. So it's maybe not quite with the enthusiasm, but he used to prefer it. To, there's a classic. They used to have a marketing thing on the back saying uh, from from saying their son preferred it more than playing video games. And there was a period in in the boy child's life when it was just that. And, but he's still got this massive enthusiasm for it. He's, you know, he, he, he got a, a, t- a hoodie uh, from the various, the wide range of collection of, of stuff they do for his birthday just before Christmas. He's my he's my son, so he has a full set now. I've tracked it all down until I got the aftermarket. We even went as far as to go to a comic called the DFC, which we'll get to when we talk about the Phoenix history. So it's a comic that has been my kid's gateway to understanding what comics are and engaging with comics. And they read bits and pieces. My, my daughter's read bits of manga, the boy child. I'm starting to slowly creep into 2000 AD. He's read a lot of Judge Dredd, stuff like that. But it was just the idea that kids, that my kids can have that similar engagement with a medium that I love so much mm. and have that excitement to that weekly fix that means that, and this was the comic that, that gave us that together. And that was, that was so it's a comic I've got a great affection for. And therefore, a conscious bias about how great I think it is. But it, it's a and it's a great way to introduce kids to that thing, but also move them on to other sorts of reading as well as as we'll talk a little bit as we go go through. I'm sure. So, fantastic stuff. I mean, obviously, as you say, clearly very important to you and your family. Um, I'm delighted to hear the story about you know lying down and reading it together because that was. <laughs> That was uh, my house, my kids. That was mainly with Calvin and Hobbes, but uh, they both uh, read Calvin and Hobbes because because there there's are. a natural linkage to that sort of that comedic, short, punchy. And as soon as we started getting to the Phoenix, I introduced them to Calvin and Hobbes as well, and they they both independently licked 
that up. They've absolutely loved licked it up. Yeah, Lapped it up is probably what I meant to say. But they've absolutely adored that and they've read that independently of themselves. And you know, and, and the roots of that is lying on that that living room floor, kicking legs in the air, reading uh, that comic together. And um yeah. And, and I think I can let's be absolutely brutal, it's not as good as Calvin Hobbes. <laughs> what is? What is? But it, yeah, but it's um there's, there's there's a very common sense to it of 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 of, of that sort of anarchic fun strips with just a real sense of not that sort of 2000 e sense of, of of danger it's a bit more middle class than that but that sense of just it hits it's like a comic hug yeah fill us in on the history then because it's basically it's any time it's coming up to a birthday i should imagine at the moment the phoenix how long has it been running and what's its format yeah so it's a it's a weekly uh comic um about 32 pages uh, pretty much two-thirds of that is is all strips of various forms. Aimed at the 17 to 14 roles, when there'll, there'll be various. When you see the age range limits of it, you'll, you'll see various ones. And it itself launched in January 2012. So it's um, it's 14, um, probably now, actually, probably this week. So it's aged for 7 to 14-year-olds, but I'll be absolutely brutal. The minute the boy child drops it, those comics are mine again because it, you know there's a there's a 51 almost 52 now who will who reads it avidly still so it's it, it, it is genuinely an all ages comics just because of the craft in it it's well put together comics so to actually talk about the um the origins of the phoenix we actually go back beyond 2012 for me there's, there was a comic released in 2008 called the dfc uh, the dfc was David Flickering Comics. Terrible title and a great thing that however much you invest in starting a comic, make sure the name's good. Don't call it after yourself because your ego will probably diminish its appeal. But the DFC, David Flickering Comics, um, that lasted 43 issues. Really good comic. We've, as I say, got a full set of that now. And he was able to launch that because he was working uh, in Oxford for Random House. So it's an Oxford comic like 2008, and I'm sure there must be linkages and chats, and I don't know what the relationship is, but they must chat. Anyway, so David Flickering was a Random House, and Random House wanted to invest in this opportunity. After 43 issues, they realised it had to grow its market. It wasn't going to get to the point whereby it it was sustainable, and they pulled it. But they had this good foundation of comic book stories and they started to release things in trades and over the next four years or so there was this regular uh, series of, of trade paperbacks from the dfa library um and then in 2011 they run out of that and they started to release original stuff there was a, a story called baggage from the everington brothers for people who know them absolutely fantastic and we'll maybe talk about them a little bit more later and so at this point i'm speculating but i guess at that point they realized well actually even if the comic's not working, these books that come from the comics are working. And David Flickering then released The Phoenix in January of 2012. There's never been any official statement that said the DFC led to The Phoenix, but there's there's, there's clues there. Um, David Flickering Comics was is the common link between the two. There, there was a, such a similar group of creators on both the DFC and, and the early Phoenix issues, and, and to be fair, still today. 
and of course, it, it's called the Phoenix. The Phoenix has to rise from the ashes of something, and 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 so therefore, we I think we can pretty clearly say that the DFC is a, a prototype and a forerunner of, of of the Phoenix. And so it's run since 2012. As I say, literally to my awareness, it, or it, it's a bit like 2008. It has a giant sized Christmas issue, so it misses right. one week, two weeks every Christmas. But we have a double sized issue um, to make up for it just beforehand. Principally. It's a subscription model. Um, you can occasionally see it in Waitrose, WH Smiths. Um, you see all the books anywhere. Yeah, the, the books we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about later on, but the books are all over the shop. But yeah, so it's uh, the strips are from literally three page gag, three sorry, three panel gag strips up to five, six-page adventure comics or or all sorts of us. And we'll talk a little bit more about the specifics of the sort of strip in there. And I think in between, and, and that's that's one of its beauties, is it, it's it's the variety of things and the variety of types of story and the types of, of, of strip it has, all of which are created with a level of craft that means there's nothing in there that's bad to read. Obviously, like it's an anthology, so there's some you prefer more than others. But it's all done with a degree of craft, still based in Oxford, Still produced by the flickering um, comics, although I think we'll, again we'll talk about maybe later on. There's maybe something changed in in, in, in the mass head of that. Um, edited by Tabs the Cat, a much nicer Blue Fog, <laughs> um, and she edits and allows other people to assist. And it's got that whole sense. It's picked up many of the cues from those seventies comics of having like an editor, a, a fictional, dare I say it, an apparently fictional. Um, editorial team to give you that sort of clubhouse feeling. It has lots of, it does have lots of reader art in there, uh, competitions, puzzle pages. So it's, it, it's padded out with, I, won't, I don't want to call it filler because it's good quality stuff because it has a bigger agenda than just um, the comic strips. It's done all sorts of amazing educational strips, um, but not in a po face way. Let's be absolutely clear the the, the bread and butter of, of your standard or a lot of your Phoenix strips is it likes fart jokes and all of the things that are, that are timeless and ageless and, and all those sort of bits. And it seems to be doing quite well. Good. So it's a subscription model. And I, ahead of this, I did a little bit of digging around and I found an article from 2014. So two years after lunch in the Guardian of all places. And <laughs> very Guardian term this. They called it a boutique, a boutique print run of around 5,000 copies. So that's 10 years ago, 5,000 copies. And this this came direct from David Flickering himself, who was being interviewed at that time. Um, and then I found a, an advertising piece from the time. So this is one of those advertising articles whereby the piece, it's, well, firstly, it's an advertising article in the Times. So something's going well. <laughs> if they're going to pay for that sort of stuff. And anyway, that article said that currently, so 10 years after, so this is from last year, so almost 10 years after it was at 5,000 subscriptions, they were saying it was now 21,000 subscribers. So, I mean, the current understanding is 2000 e would kill for those sorts of numbers. Mm. And, you know, and it's doing that based on a subscription model. There will be some news agent sales, but I, I, also, well, you know, the bigger news agents, the Waitrose and the the witch smiths but I, I imagine it's going to be not much more than that 21,000 but you're not going to turn your nose up but that there's US big US comics these days that would settle for those figures so it seems to be doing very very well 
And I seem to remember in 2012, there was a big thing about it being launched in Waitrose, which I thought was unusual, but <laughs> Waitrose well, were behind it for a while. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I have moved on from my, my, my working class roots and I am now very middle class and, and I'd seen it in Waitrose. It's a Waitrose by us in Sheffield. You know, um, and it, it, it is... <laughs> It's a different sort of comic to 2000 in, in, in that terms, that ethos and that drive. It is very educational. Okay, let, let, let's temper that. As I say, fart jokes, hmm. giant robots fighting, you know, rabbits and bunnies and monkeys fighting in, in forests. But it does have a, it has a very clear mission to it that it wants to introduce kids to reading. It wants to drive people to different story types. It wants to give you, and again, we'll we'll come to talk about this the, the sort of the bunny versus monkeys and the the more fun anarchic strips. But it's had strips about it had this amazing strip a, a few years ago, which I've not put in notes. I must admit, I should have done. But they were talking about um, a team of doctors. True story. They just wrote a, a series of articles about a team of doctors that went to Tanzania and and, and, and adjacent countries, um, supporting. Uh, they had a, a mobile van and they were they were they were taking um, they were doing a study into malaria and spreads from um small pointy nosed insects whose name is mosquitoes mosquitoes thank you very much and the pro- <laughs> let's just let's just call them small pointy nosed insects and just 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 brush that one off um and they um and, and they were they were talking about 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 what they learned during that so we and there's a strip we'll talk about later we start talking about really good strips which which we'll get on to so it is about that diversity and opening people's and kids minds to the diversity of story and story form by having really easy accessible strips like bunny versus monkey which is brilliant to say it's easy and accessible dismisses it a little bit but then you know weaving in other things to sort of support that you know what recently did look like it was i got the impression this might that it was going through a hard times, but those figures defile it because it started to do like uh, reprints on the cover of in- interior panels. It started to do, uh, there was a little bit of reprint creeping in. The paper stock of the cover sort of diminished. But those figures say that's clearly it, it's not struggling. And I imagine it's just increasing costs that meant them have to sort of, in some way, sort of find a way to, to save money. And it's got a very, very healthy line of reprints. Um, so you will literally find next to Dogman in, in Waterstones, you'll find Bunny versus Monkey volumes. There's been, I had a quick look at when the first volume, they, they, they were all, there was an original run of, of, of reprints of, of a, its biggest strip, which we'll come to and talk about more later, I'm sure, called Bunny versus Monkey. And so they had a, a line that got to 12, 14 issues, whatever it was, track collections. And they started to be released in much more those sort of dogmen for, for people, the, the sort of digest size mm. collections of a bit thicker, more book bound. They started to reprint them in 2020. They've already got about 12 of those out. Uh, I recorrected the figure I sent to you because I, I, I bought one. That's what I bought for the boy child um, last week in my local comic shop. But there's other strips as well that get reprinted in that format. There's a, there's a great strip called Mega Robo Bros. So there is a really strong line of reprints beyond what seems like a very healthy um, subscription model as well. And um, yeah, it, it seems to do well. And it's, yeah, it, it has this other agenda, which I know we, we want to talk about a bit more. Well, we'll come back to its agenda of um, reading, writing and drawing for kids. Um, what about the initial 
sort of panel of creators who were there at the start. Tell us a little bit about some of them. And are they, are they represent, some of them are represented in this collection we've got in front of us, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose the, the, the quote-unquote big names, well, to be fair, we should, we should mention two luminaries straight away. So David Flickering, editor at Random House, knew um, Philip Pullman. So Philip Pullman had strips in the first couple of hundred issues, not every week, but you know he had a couple of ongoing returning strips. Um, Philip Pullman's always been a, a great advocate of, of comics as a medium for education and introducing kids to reading. He's, you know, as well as writing famously the Northern Lights and the, uh, the that trilogy of books. He's written all sorts of, of all ages books, and he's he's a, a fantastic advocate of, of getting kids reading. And he was supporting this project right from the off from the DFC days through to the first couple, I say couple hundred issues. He had stuff appearing. That's an author, an internationally acclaimed author writing for a comic, which is is, is absolutely laudable and, and you'd like to see more often, to be fair. Mm. Um, Chris Riddle, who many people will know their illustrations from, from a numerous places. He did a fantastic version of um, Hunting of the Snark, which if people haven't read, is, is, is well worth checking out. But his illustrations are, yeah, he's worked with Neil Gaiman and all sorts. He did loads of illustrations in the game, first couple of hundred issues. And then you get the more sort of more regular comic book folk. So there was a team called the Everington Brothers, who yep. these days have very, very successful Kickstarters with their illustration books. Um, but they've had some fantastic adventure strips and, and, and comedy strips in, in, in the early issues. A bloke called Neil Cameron, who's again whose work is carrying on through. He's appeared in the prog recently-ish. Cadet Dread, I think you said he in did. your notes. Yeah. Um and uh the people in here we'll talk about particularly about in, in a wee bit. There's the folks in this are again people who Robert Dees, who is who does the bulk of, of, of this book. I'm holding up to the camera in case it's a podcast you forget. Uh, um, and he, he does a lot of venture strips. There's a, a, an artist called Jess Bradley who does a strip called Squid Bitch, which we will talk about much more as we go on because I absolutely adore that strip. And um, she, uh, she she's a children's book illustrator as well, and she, she's got a vast range of, of uh, array of books out there. Um We'll come back to Laura Louise Anderson, Ella Louise Anderson, sorry, I should say, later on, because I've got a story about her that I'd like to, to relate. Um, and then you've got Jamie Smart. So right. Jamie Smart is to the Phoenix. It's a very tentative relation, but what John Wagner is to 2008. So he's got a strip called Bunny versus Monkey and others, which, which we can talk about in a bit. So Lushkin, for example, the, 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 the Tales of the Maddest Cat in the World is in this collection as well. There's some, some Bunny vs. Monkey strips in here. But Jamie Smart has had a strip called Bunny vs. Monkey, which has appeared in, not all, um, but two-thirds of all of the Phoenixing since the start is still, still going and is an absolutely phenomenal um, comedic comic strip producer. Been going since the DFC days. Um did a DR and Quinch poster, I believe, in the recent art book, which is something to behold, but only gives you a, a, a tiny hint of the just unceasing uh, genius of the man because he, he produces two pages, well, lately, 
And again, this might be another reason why they're trying to save money because imagine it must be costing a fortune to keep him on because he could command anything, I imagine, because he's, he's, he is quite brilliant. And he does two to, sometimes he does two pages, sometimes there's three pages of a strip. Sometimes he's got two or three strips in a given issue as well. So we went through a golden period not that long ago where we were getting two pages of Bunny versus Monkey and two pages of Lushkin in each issue. And each each of those two-page strips stands on its own, but then builds up to tell ongoing, continuous stories that get, I wouldn't say involved, but, you know, they, they deal with the nature of reality and all sorts of crazy interdimensional shenanigans. And and Jamie Smart is just a bedrock of, of that comic. It, it, I can't remember the last time he was, didn't have at least one strip in in, in it. You know, typically, when you best much, but all sorts of ones come in. And the... The rate of production for such high quality material is it's it's frankly staggering. And there's a little bit of Bunny vs. Monkey in in the collection we looked at. I think as much as anything, because I think that they, I doubt they felt they could release it without some Bunny vs. Monkey in there, but all of that is available on your books. I have to say, if you if you find Dogman in your local bookshop, you'll probably find some Bunny vs. Monkey next to it. And having read both with the boy child, uh, seriously, Bunny vs. Monkey. You can't fault David Pikey. The man has done very well. He has a talent. He reaches an audience. You cannot knock that. But I can say hand on heart, Bunny versus Monkey is the better comic strip. It's a better comic book and it has the better craft. It's an astonishing piece of work. It really is. And Bunny versus Monkey is sort of, as you say, it's almost a breakout um, title from the Phoenix. This year, um, every year at Christmas, the National Book Tokens... Uh, here in the UK, release a sort of Christmas uh, book quiz where they do a cartoon of a bookshop that's full of clues to to 20 books you have to identify. And this year, one of them was Bunny versus Monkey. (laughs) Fantastic. I wasn't wasn't aware of that. that, that, Yeah, it it really is. It's a judge dread to to, to 2000 It's a judge dread to the Phoenix, really. it's, It's that... Uh, that that strip that just holds everything together that that, that that it doesn't matter what else is in there it's an anthology some weeks you go mm, not so good this week but you've typically got two pages of bunny versus monkey all is right with the world <laughs> and, and, and you're quite happy um and we will talk probably about that in a, a little bit more detail later on so that that's the sort of cr- crisis that start at the beginning and, and to be fair a lot of them are, are, are still still regulars not all of them some people have drifted on the Everington brothers are so successful with their kickstarters i don't think they need to, to do any of they have they have phenomenal kickstarters and their um, instagram yeah. is, fan, is fantastic for oh, yeah. um uh for as you say for illustration tips and tricks yeah 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 um, we'll come uh, back to Bunny versus Monkey and Jamie Smart again in a moment. Before that, tell us a little bit about some of the other strips in this first collection and particularly the creators uh, of Yeah, them. so in this one we've got the, 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 the spine of this particular collection is, is, is a story called Trailblazers by a creator called Robert Dees. Uh, I'm assuming it's Grant Dees. I, I could be wrong. Um, and it's, a, it's an adventure strip about a... Well, I'm going to say a hero, but the, the the protagonist is a selfish, self-obsessed teenage space hero, explorer, adventurer who has a team of people who he, frankly, is isn't isn't cool to. <laughs> Sets the adventure in place by actually worrying about the fact his computer game doesn't save and and goes to a world, uh, a planetary archive of computer information, releases. I suppose wrongly imprisoned 
AI beings want a better way of putting it and from their shenanigans and a shoe high high adventure and it's a really good strip Robert Dees is a regular in, in, in the Phoenix he's got a number of strips currently he's got he's running a strip called Four and he's had a number of really good strips he's always got something on the boil um, in the Phoenix and it's a strip I would say Trailblazers wouldn't be out of place in the regions it's a sort of I think story that the regions is is looking to trying to capture that sort of magic of an adventure strip that can be tell an ongoing story in, in successfully in, in, in decent sized chunks. And I think when you think about the art in, in, in trailblaze, it's, it's very, it is that energetic, exciting, almost cartoon animation like uh strip. So that forms the bulk of it. Unfortunately, it, it does leave you dangling a bit because it ends on a quite a significant cliff, I would say. And I'm not aware of it having been printed afterwards. But still, it's a satisfying chunk of a, a very good story to read in and of itself. And I will say, the Trailblazers, when we first started getting it, was probably our, our the first strip that we absolutely loved um, because it was really good stuff. And as I say in my notes, it, it, it headed into an almost Captain Britain-esque world of multiple universes. So we have the, the more... Uh, Alan Davis, Jamie Delano, sort of Captain Britain stuff, of alternative universes, characters were dying to be reformed and reborn. There was redemptive arcs. It was it was a fantastic, and it was probably accepting Bunning versus Monkey. It's a bit like when you say your favourite ships in Spurs, except Dread is put to one side. It was probably our favourite ship when we first started reading it, and it, it, but it finished it, it got a really satisfying conclusion. It would make a lovely, a lovely, lovely, lovely set of trades if they ever found the market for it it is worth noting i think most of the strips i should say i think are creator own because when the the public they come out the copyrights is looks very much more like a prose novel sort of copyright and given it's from random house who i'm assuming that they are creator owned and there is some degree of control they certainly have the copyright to all the text in the story i don't know about where the character rights sit so i've never seen them released elsewhere as well probably because they, they wouldn't see a need to i imagine because i imagine they're treated very well by the phoenix but robert d's Fantastic strip called Trailblazers Adventure. I don't know what you felt about that one. Uh, well, and my first thought was it's a Regine strip, but um, even better, basically, as you say. It's the sort of strip that I think the Regine was looking for, but it's yes. in the Phoenix. It's exactly that. Yeah. Um, it, 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 yeah. It, 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 it's a space action, space sci fi action adventure. Yeah. Um, then beyond that, we've got we've got some Bunny versus Monkey. This story called Squid Bit by Daniel Bolt Boltswood Boltswood. I can't quite pronounce that. Who I think may have had some regions work as well. Some political cartoons by the aforementioned Chris Riddle. I'm going to come back to those bits left. There's a great strip called Evil Emperor Penga, Penguin by Laura Ella Anderson. And if you will indulge me, I will sing her praises because Laura Ella Anderson on World Book Day. She was actually as it happened, just we didn't. We nothing to do with anything, but it happens to be coming to my um, son's school as one of the, you know, they get authors coming in. She was coming in, doing a book signing. And this was by the point that we had got a full set of Phoenixes because my son is, you know, my son, and he's being brought up by a comics nerd and completists will be completists. And and so we dug out, we, we spent a lovely day, Saturday, picking out, going through all the issues of the Phoenix, picking out particular favourite issues that we get sound at the first issue of Eve Realm for Penguin, which is her strip in this, which is a, a strip, I should say, about a penguin who is evil and wants to rule the world. Um, he has an octopus servant. He has 
enemy is called Evil Cat, and it's just it's just it's a wonderful, wonderful. I don't think Evil Cat appears in this one actually. Anyway, um, so the boy child, we had these all out. We had the trade that we'd bought previously, and we had um, all the back issues that we picked out. And then they changed the day when she arrived, or we got the day wrong. Whatever happened, he didn't have those comics in when she come. And the boy is a pretty robust young thing, the boy child. But he was in tears. He was absolutely gutted. And so the teacher said, look, we're going to go and talk to her because she's very nice. We'll go and chat with her. And she was so supportive. She was so sympathetic. She drew him a sketch um, because he hadn't got his books to get signed. She drew him over and above. She was signing things to people. She drew, said, this lovely little A5 sketch of EEP, Evil Emperor Penguin, which we now have tucked into some of the, the one of the trays that we would have taken in to get signed. And it was just a lovely gesture. And, and Sid said, in that way that uh, he was probably, what, nine at the time, ten. In that way that nine years, yeah, she was very nice. But I'm sure <laughs> the, the teacher said to me, she took me aside when we saw her, and she said, yeah, she was absolutely lovely. She was fantastic. And so absolute hats off to Laura L. Anderson. If anybody sees any Evil Emperor Penguin books, buy them, if for nothing else, just to give a good person some some sales. Um, and beyond that, and again, we will talk about Money versus Monkey because you can't not probably in a bit, but there's there's a couple of other strips that I absolutely love. Um, so there's a strip in this, there's a few strips of uh, cartoons of a strip called Squid Bits by Jess Bradley, one of my absolute favourite um, Phoenix stories, just completely, it's just a, it's a typical, it used to be two pages, now it's a page of just, it's a gag strip, but it's a gag strip that, Again, it's that it comes. It's in the Phoenix pretty much every week. It has little gaps here and there, but since about issue two hundred, it's been in largely for every week. And it's just this almost the word Python-esque gets used too much, but it has that sort of slightly surrealist Python-esque sort of sense of humour to it. Gorgeous clean line, um, but this really just no holds barred sense of humor it has characters called red panda nature's jerk uh, it just kind of sets a sort of tone to it It does these crazy horoscopes art shark all sorts of just just repeated characters on this page that gets full of stuff it's quite hard to describe um but it is just this page of delight there's only a couple of them in this but i think it was just to give that taste of, of that and there's another strip called doug slugman by joe list which again is another example of the sort of the it respects kids' ability to have I wouldn't even call it sophisticated humor, but humor that's just completely out of left field. It doesn't talk down to the kids. These these are quite crazy anarchic sort of strip ideas. And Doug Slugman is a detective slug who goes around and solves cases, and that in no way, shape, or form gives you any indication of what you actually get. It's got this Absolutely amazing, loose art style. Uh, and uh, frankly, really, again, the word surreal, overused, but this almost surrealist sense of the absurd. It's absurdist, I should say, actually. Absurd is probably a better turn of phrase. Um, gag strip that is as funny to me as it is to my kids. It, it's genuinely just left field, absurdist humour. It, it, it's absolute finest. And they're, they're the sort of things, there's quite a good chunk of that. And then you get. Um, Jamie Smart. Jamie Smart comes back again with Lushkin as well, doesn't he? Lushkin. Lushkin, sorry, yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know how you pronounce it. I've always called it Lushkin. Right. 
Lushkin is a, 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 a pronunciation I've heard many times, and I suspect that's possibly right. I should watch some of them because Jamie Swart does do an awful lot of things like the videos and educational stuff, the sort of drawing things. They do a lot of that in the Phoenix Herald. We'll come back to that in a bit. Um, so, yeah, the, the, this the collection. It's a really good sample of, of a good sense of the the variety of of from one page gag strips to ongoing adventures of the evil emperor penguin to uh, which are little standalone stories to an ongoing adventure strip um to lushkin lushkin about a cat hitting a teddy bear with a frying pan um and uh bunny versus monkey which we will get to talk about quite soon i'm sure because you, you can't not and it gives you a really good sense of, of that's what's great about these these uh the phoenix colossal cost this that's what's really good about the phoenix colossal comic collection the alliteration can trip you up at times um is the is they do give you a sense of of, of the variety of, of strips in, in in the comic and the really good tries we used to buy these regularly because i bought this one in the aftermarket because i must have bought about four or five copies of of this and the subsequent volumes because we used to give them out as presents right when you want to give a present do you go around to a kid's party and we turned four or five kids from those collections into people who've got the phoenix and or a whole set of, of bunny versus monkey or other over collections of particular stories they liked uh, I know at least four people got turned on to being subscribers to the Phoenix based on just giving them these as, as samples of, of the kids. And I guess that's how they've grown their market is just by producing good quality material and making it easy accessible to kids. And you've mentioned that it's successful in its aim of not just making kids read, but also making kids write and draw. Yeah. And, you know, you said about Laura Ellen Anderson doing a visit to your child's school because they do, they have, as part of the Phoenix, done a lot, quite a bit of outreach of, with the creators, haven't they? Yeah, the Phoenix is a whole load of different sort of uh, outreach for drawing workshops. Um, they do, uh, there's a whole program at any con you go to, they will have a typically a, a pretty good presence there to try to appeal to, you know, I've seen them multiple times when I've been to Fort Bubble. Um, they, they work with schools. They release books into, into libraries. They've got all sorts of different programs. Their presence online was again, during COVID, they just got all their creators to go online and start producing things and ways to get kids to draw. They encourage that by having, they've got a great series of, of uh, an annual competition called star of a comic where they get kids to send in the concept of, of for a comic strip. And one of them will have one of the top drawer artists. So Robert Dees has done one. Neil Cameron, who we've talked about, has done one. Um, I can't remember who it was this year. Uh, oh, was it Jess Bradley? Did this year as well. They literally have the regular artists and crew will take that concept and turn it into an ongoing strip in, 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 in the comic for, I think, the most one. They had, they had one about, that lasted about nine weeks. And, and so they've got these really, really powerful mechanisms. They have a... They have their own, uh, the Phoenix Comic Convention that lasts for two days of a weekend in, in, in June. Much to my fury, you're not allowed to go in as an adult, so they have a little space where they can put your adults out of <laughs> the way. And the kids go into a room and they have workshops and create your own comics and the artists and the, the creators are there. They, they do need to realise that us nerdy comic fan parents, we, we need... I'm desperate to go in and see what they do because it sounds amazing. Um, 
so yes, yeah, so they, they, they've got that and they do all this and it very much is a drive of the mission. They've even got, so they've got all the, the trade collections, but they've also released a set of prose books that have come on from, so Jamie Smart had his own prose book called Flember and that went the other way. That took a character from this, these prose books called Flember into the comic. But then they've had things like, there's a, a strip called Mega Robot Bros, which again we might talk about in a bit, uh, one of my favourites. And so they had a series of prose books that came out from that. They do bits and pieces like that. So there really is this, this idea that comics are a mechanism to get kids reading. They're an end in themselves. They don't ever shy away from that being the case. But they're a mechanism to introduce a whole different world of, of reading and activity, drawing, creativity. They always have, in pretty much every issue, they've always had some sort of double-page feature about how to draw you know, having artists break down how to draw, those sorts of things that you used to get to for the annuals as a regular thing. The Everington Brothers did, a, did it for, for years, literally. They would, would, they would they'd take the most obscure things like how to draw a cliff or how to draw shells hmm. and they break each of these elements down and they've carried that tradition through. Um, so there's, there's really is a, a, a good educational agenda and it does that classic trick of making it not feel like you're being educated and that's what they do so well. They, they trick you into learning this stealthy swine. Fantastic stuff. Well, it's, you know, it's got a great collection of uh, a variety of strips and stories. We wanted to mention one or two other strips that you're particularly fond of outside of this collection. Give us one or two pointers of your, uh, your and the family favourites. I'll, I'll save Jamie Smart till last because that, 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 that's a good way to round up. I've mentioned Mega Robo Bros already an awful lot. It's a story that um, is done by Neil Cameron. Uh, absolutely superb. He did a strip right at the beginning called Pirates of uh, Pangea with a, a colleague, uh, a writer called Daniel Hartwell. And it did that classic thing that strip uh, that Flesh did. In the it said, like, what the kids like? They like dinosaurs and cowboys. Flesh, what the kids like? They like dinosaurs and pirates. That's Pirates of Pangea. It does. It has that sort of sensibility to it. Mega Robo Bros is a story of, of, of two uh, teenage robots uh, and their adventures both in school and uh, fighting all sorts of powers that be and whatnot. So basically any strip by Neil Cameron, I, I would heartily recommend, but Mega Robo Bros is an absolute favourite of mine. I've mentioned Doug Slugman and Kit Squid Bits, just absolutely brilliant. There's uh, Abby Bloomer, who's done bits of colouring around and bits in the regime as well, has just a little free, free panel strip called Doggo. And it's just the simple concept of Doggo appears, he's this goggle-eyed dog with sort of slightly, um, I'm going to say boss-eyed, that's entirely an appropriate way. He's slightly cross-eyed, I do not know the correct appropriate way to, to name that, so I do apologise. But he, 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 his eyes look in different directions, this weird-looking almost chihuahua, and it's just him appearing when you least expect it. And somehow she's made that work for weeks upon weeks upon weeks of endless strips, and it, it's fantastic. So it, it's got those sort of personal favourites, but then it does other things. There's a strip called No Country, which uh, is by the uh, Patrice Agus, A-double-G-S, and that imagines the concept of civil war breaking out in the UK and it being people in the UK that have to flee fighting powers and be, they're, they're trying to get to France, so they're going to become the immigrants that some areas are right-wing media will so vilify but it's saying that could be you. Different set of circumstances, different set of pressures, that could be you. And again, that sort of feeds into that sort of educational tone of saying, let's think about these things. We'll put you, we'll give you Bunny versus Monkey. We'll have your fart gags. We'll have 
um, squid bits. But then we're going to give you stories that actually make you think, and not in a, a forcing a message way, but just it's a good adventure story, and it's it's it, it's fantastic. No country, I know there's a really good trade of that house, um, but that's still an ongoing strip. And there's one very recently called Tosh's Island, which was a biography of uh, the writer called Linda Sardens, and she discovered when she was a teenager that she had. Uh, and I'm reading my notes here because I want to get this right. She had a a condition called Stills disease. Which because I know you're a doctor as well, so I don't want to get this you. Which is apparently a very, a very uh, rare form of rheumatoid rheumatoid arthritis, and this kind of goes back to my perception of those sort of seventies girls comic strips yeah. of of, uh, of something that someone's been brought up on quote unquote boys comics, and you know with the boy child you know engaging with a little bit of Judge Dredd, loving Bunnyverse, and we're loving those market strips. It seemed like Affirmer, it seemed like, well, why would we like this? And it, it, it's very slow paced. It's very character driven. And it became it, the boys after Bunny vs. Monkey again. We always put that to one side. Uh, his favorite strip. And he loved it because it's that ability to open your eyes to a different world, to a set of living and a set of perceptions and a set of struggles and realities that are different to your own. To it was so atypical of, of what I would have thought he liked. And that's why, for me, it's a particularly special strip. It's literally just finished just before Christmas. Uh, it is utterly heart-wrenching at times, but at the same time, it has that classic thing of while it's heart-wrenching, it's, it's uplifting. It's a true story. Um, I'm sure there's going to be collections of it. And if people hear of, of Tosh's Island by uh, Linda Sargent, I, I, I would recommend it wholeheartedly. It's an absolutely fantastic. It feels slow, and yet it's somehow strangely compelling it delivers that punch every week of something to pull you through to the next bit and it's about the the fantasy world that she creates to help her cope with disease how that affects her relationships with her friends at school and and, and the physical condition it's about a real person going through these real things that, that frankly i knew nothing about until i read this and, and it, it did a brilliant ship and, and, and more importantly to me it made the boy child read something that he typically wouldn't and not just read it but love it really really love and engage it so but when we'd sit around the table when we talk every so often we'll talk about the phoenix i was like yeah i'm a nerd i talk about comics to the kids and i say what, what are you loving at the minute and he, we'd start to talk about tosh's island and you know that meant a lot that it goes back to that idea of, of, of sharing things with your kids that surprise them. It's great that they will find that joy, but then also that joy will give them something that you wouldn't expect it to mm. and would open their mind to different things. And it, it, it was fantastic. But there are so many more. There's strips called Gorbra, Corpse Hawk, you'll see everywhere. Corpse Hawk is where Adam Murphy interviews dead people. So it gives you this historical story, but using the power of zombies, uh, Claire. I love this title. Claire, Justice Ninja, Ninja of Justice, Long Gone Dawn. But there's, there's hundreds of these things. And if you go to Waterstone, Waterstones or preferably an independent local bookshop and look on the shelves, you'll find a whole load of strips and you'll be surprised how many of them uh, will, will come from the Phoenix. And, and But they're the, the ones that I want to pull out. And then you have Jamie Smart's Bunny versus Monkey, uh, which we've talked about a bit, but I think we probably just got to give a very quick footnote as to, to what it actually is. So basically, Bunny versus Monkey. There are two tr- quote-unquote tribes of people, two sets of, of conflicting animals. There's Bunny and his lovely friends, like um, there's, there's a pig and a squirrel whose name's escaping me. All the cute lovely Wee ones. Weenie and pig. Weenie and pig. The fact that I forgot them is, is shocking. 
and William Pig and um, AI and, 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 and all these lovely creatures. And then there's Monkey, who, with his scientific genius friend Skunky, creates all sorts of mechanical robotic terrors that uh, terrorize the forest. And that is just half of what makes that story brilliant. There's, there's, a, there's a, a simplicity and style and energy to the art that is, is, is hard to... It's hard to sort of to, to describe how how amazing the art is and, and how he does it in such a simple way. Bunny versus monkeys, as as we've said, the breakout star. Jamie Smart has Lushkin, uh, Megalomaniacs, Mega Low Maniacs, about small little alien invaders. So it takes that idea, you know, the, the classic future shock of oh, they're small. Uh, the alien invaders are coming, but they're small. It takes that and it's run for weeks and weeks of it. And he had another one called Battleship B, which is more of an ongoing adventure, which hasn't developed. He's done lots, but Bunny versus Monkey, it, it, it's just anarchic fun. Two pages of just amazing. I don't know how it was. Have you read Bunny versus Monkey before you'd picked up this collection? Or no, I hadn't. I hadn't actually. It was news to me, and um, they're wonderful. Uh, yeah. yeah, utterly fantastic and hilarious. I'm glad you like them because you never know with, with, with you know, introducing new things to anybody, but they are just absolutely brilliant. Um, I always find Lushkin is probably the most immediately appealing because that is just even more anarchic and, 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 and hilarious in, in, in its immediacy. But for me, Bunny Bear is something that builds over time because it does have these long, uh, ongoing themes and ideas. And as I say, the art is exceptional. He has a capacity to fill a page with so much and yet never make it look cramped. It just looks full and vibrant. And, um, yeah, just an absolutely astonishingly good strip that if people haven't, it's not hard to find anything by Bunny vs. Monkey. If you're not interested in, in testing anything else from the Phoenix, much like you would say to people, go and, you know, not sure what to do, go and get some case files, go and buy a couple of Bunny vs. Monkey collections. Um, the, I think there are 10 or each, whatever it is, for a nice hardback book. And you'll get, you will just, unless your car heart is made of hard, bitter stone, you will laugh with joyous glee. And again, it goes back to that idea. It's like the anarchic elements of Calvin vs. Hobbes. It has that sense of, of unrefined, unrestrained adventure and not adventure but fun and, and, and energy to it um again i would never say it was better than calvary's hog but it, i i really feel the parallels and also that ability to catch movement energy the way that you know when bill watson would draw uh hobbs leaping jamie smart's doing that week in week out with all sorts of movement and energy and and and, and, and astonishing with such deceptively simple art it, it's an absolute masterclass in in, um, in comic book storytelling and i was trying to work out how many different collected editions there were from the phoenix and i basically ended up losing count there's a lot of collected editions there's a lot yes <laughs> I, I yeah uh, i mean you know each one of those what uh, stories i mentioned possibly i don't think i'm not aware of tosh's island being oh yeah i'm sure it probably is will have a number of collected editions. So I say Mega Road Bros has got the four, the complete sort of state in four of those dogman size books. They've all had, or a lot of the older ones have also had previous releases of the same story. So you've got that slight danger of, of, of making sure you're not tripping over yourselves. Um, I think there's about three or four Gorbra books already. There's, there's lots of them. There's lots of them. Um, as well, I suppose what you've got to, 
to put it in perspective, how many trade collections of the first 600 issues of 2000 they are there? And you're talking a similar volume of comic strips to dip into. I don't. It's not quite as comprehensive as, as, as Rebellion's fantastic job with keeping 2000 stuff available, but it's it's getting up there. It really is. And so, uh, well, yeah, I'm conscious of the time. I'm, I could talk about this for hours, and we're barely scratching the surface because you are talking about 600 issues of fantastic comic books. And also, you just wanted to mention the fact that uh, the aftermarket for Phoenix and Phoenix Collections is quite good as well, because, um, as you say, the readers will age out of the uh, the comic eventually. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I, I found. This is how I, we were able to get a full set, because the simple fact of the matter is, understandably, it's aimed at 7- to 14-year-olds, variants thereof. People will get it, find it, three to four years of a sub, and I've picked up bundles of 100 for bobbins because they've they've just got to the end of that reading life they aren't nerds they don't want to collect store and collate this vast treasure treasure trove of, of, of comics and and, and so they, they, they go on to the aftermarket so if you go to the aftermarket uh, you you will find these at very very good prices and so if you try a couple of trades and enjoy it i think the, the only way but like it's a bit like if you, you if someone read bunny versus monkey it'd be like reading the case files for judge dread Absolutely brilliant, very worthwhile, but you wouldn't get the true magic, which is that sense of finding and discovery of different sorts of story, different sorts of idea. And the best way to do that is to is to go look on on the aftermarket. There are obvious sites to name, but you, you all know what they are. And, and and just do a search on the Phoenix Weekly Story Comic, and, and you will find good bundles for next to nothing. And I, I sell comics as a as a side hustle. Um, I do it only physically. I don't. I don't go into any other place. I'm not trying to hawk my words here. And I always, whenever I go and sell comics, I always uh, local Sheffield Comic Mart. I always take some of the Phoenix with me. I never end up selling any, much to my disappointment. But when I see a kid looking for what to find with their dad or their dad's there, and I, I always give a few away just because. I think it's about that discovery of the magic of, of, mm. of the potential of comics and and the, and the Phoenix has that for us. So I would. Look at the trades. Go into to the shops because obviously you know support the comic itself. But if you find you like it, don't be afraid of just pulling a hundred, a random set of hundred, or a random set of ten, or a random set of whatever you know you fancy or, or your budget will afford to, because you're gonna get ten, twenty, or hundred good comics, depending on what size you get, and you'll get a much better sense of that variety, which is what great. I say about the, the, the collection we looked at, you will get a great sense of the variety and, and, and the the rich diversity of comics it'll do and you'll be surprised most excitingly uh that's what i love about an anthology you will be surprised by what you discover no matter how much we've talked about it for an hour you will not cover all the ground that's in there because it's an anthology and that's the joy of an anthology you will read things that you otherwise wouldn't and this is the first volume of at least three colossal collections that's right so there's another two of these yeah I think you can get them all pretty much from from um, most online booksellers, shall we say, without naming specifics. Pretty straightforward. Um, they have done other. They, they did a comedy version, which I think might be out of print now, but they did a sort of similar, sort of more of a gag based one. Um, so you can get these anthologies, which are which are really really good ways to to sort of nip in and just get a sense of that diversity of strip. Because it, it covers all, all all genres. I mean, I suppose you as the person going into this. Not naive, but you're fresh with fresh eyes. 
how, how did you feel about that sense of that mix of things? Oh, I was delighted. I thought it was delightful. I mean, I, I can see why you're a big fan of squid bits because, you know, I, I love those. I want to know if President Dog comes back in in future. It's a reoccurring character. It's great. I've got squid bits. They don't appear loads apart from possibly Red Panda Nature's great, uh, biggest jerk. But every so often, you're, oh, it's one of those is in or Art Sharks. And Art Sharks a personal favourite of mine. I think, the, I can't remember there's an Art Shark one in here. I think there was. So yeah, so it's good to hear that, that that someone can come to it fresh and, and get that sense of excitement from it as well. I was also because I'm a big fan of, of the political cartoons of Chris Riddell and also his work with Neil Gaiman. So I was you know surprised and delighted when some one page uh, cartoons by him turn up, um, yeah. which are great fun. Also, the subscription model. It's you know the Phoenix is a subscription model comic. And you pointed out in our notes that they usually have some offers on the on you know the first few issues, don't they? So if 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 you look up on any of the social media or go to the Phoenix websites, which we I'm sure we can put in the show notes, it'll be in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, they nearly always have a six issues for a pound subscription offer. So if you've got kids between seven and fourteen, or if you don't and you just like to read good comics, you can dip your toes in. You can cancel it after that. All I can say is I've, I've, as I say, we, we we know we've turned on from the books alone four people onto a subscription. I've turned on maybe another three or four family members or or, or or close friends, five close friends now onto it. And each one of them has tried it for that model, and each one of them has gone on to have a full subscription because it, it just, frankly, it doesn't disappoint. And it, it's great to see the way you can engage. And it, it's there. They know their model. They know they're there to get you in to get you hooked and then they've i'm assuming they've got a great sort of model a financial model based on the on the trades coming out on a regular basis and how that works and they've they, they've got a hopefully a really successful robust way of, of, of but outside they can they can afford to pay for advertising features in the time for pity's sake <laughs> they must be doing something right so yeah there's always offers there and as I say, if, if you want to dip in to all the stuff that's easy to get hold of, the Phoenix is, for having said it's not talked about enough, it's out there. It's it's not a hard thing to explore and, 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 and dip into in the way that you would choose to. So let's turn back to the pages of this collection and the artwork. Uh, you've mentioned that your son has a sketch from Laura Ellen Anderson of Evil Emperor Penguin. Um, does the family have any other pieces of sketches or artwork from no I, I do have a well we have sketches we have lots of um in we've for various reasons my comic shop has a relationship with jamie smart so when they get the uh the collections in they always let me know which ones have got little doodles in or drawings sketches. they've got a number of, of of sketch cards and or sketched books from jamie smart in a couple of our, our collections randomly one of these ebay collections that we picked up of sorry aftermarket ebay we know uh collections on ebay or, or the aftermarket we picked up we, we got a there was a i forget which issue was maybe 200 um it had a big center page because they were having their first um and event and the one that we picked up not knowing had hundreds, not hundreds, tens of signatures in it and the odd little sketch. That was really good fun. But I've never had any luck because I think a lot of the art, to be fair, is done digitally. Let's yeah. be absolutely, I think a lot of it is. I did reach out to Jamie Smart because on one of his, his, during COVID, he did these house draw and he took us through and I his, his, his Facebook page and his website. 
and he was drawing them, penciling them physically before scanning them in. So I tried to contact him and just say, well, don't suppose you're selling any of your art. He never got back to me, which is obviously his prerogative, and who knows if he either doesn't sell it or just doesn't want random people saying, going to buy things off you. So I did reach out to Jamie Smart, but he never got back, and I've never seen Jamie Smart at a convention. Um, but if I ever did, I would be asking because, yeah, it would be a wonderful thing to own a piece of Jamie Art, the Jamie Smart original artwork. But I haven't actually got any, and I've never seen much of the artwork for sale. I have to be honest, I think a lot of our sales done digitally. Well, let's give you a couple of virtual pages to at least uh, <laughs> pretend you can own. So if we stick to this volume, yes, um, that's all you've do. chosen a couple of pages for the Grail page game. What have you chosen? And so, are, are we getting to some bunny versus monkey? Of course we are. So on page 47 of this volume, there is a, a lovely page that has all of my favourite characters. It's got bunny versus monkey. It's got skunky. It's got a character called... Um, Action Beaver, who I once dressed my son up for Halloween as, which was great fun because he had to go around and explain to people. So we took an issue of the Phoenix out so we could show to people it wasn't it wasn't quite as random as it first appeared. Um, and it's, a, it, it, it's got a fart joke in it. So it's got a giant um, skunky farting on, on, on Monkey from the Skies. And there's a lovely bit of storytelling on the bottom panel bottom eight panels which is all about that ability for comics to use timing in a way that you can picture it happening in a, in a, in a more you know on film or tv but it doesn't quite work as well it does on the comic page because of those gaps in the panels and it, it just works majestic and that those eight panels at the bottom where, where it isn't the fart joke are just i think just brilliant storytelling and it's just comic timing done to perfection it is hilarious. You've got two great gags on the page, the fart yeah. joke, and then the, the joke at the bottom of the page, uh, a character very far away having to run up to say something and then run off again. The only thing it lacks, of course, is you, you would want one with the bunny versus monkey. The logo. logo. Yeah. yeah, that's the only thing that misses. Um, but for me, that is just a, that is just a great bit. Well, well we, might, we might grant you the whole two-page strip, as it's only a two-page. I almost asked. And yeah. the other one that I went for was there's a, the first Squid Bits entry, because I say I absolutely adore Squid Bits. For me, it may be better than Bunny vs. Monkey. I don't know. I feel treacherous saying that. It's a bit like saying you prefer Nikolai Dante to Judge Dredd. Probably I do. But there's a so by Jess Bradley, a very early squid bit, but it's got a couple. Well, it's, it's got Red Panda, Nature's Jerk, who is, is probably my, my favorite uh, squid bits reoccurring character. But it's also got this great little one at the bottom. It's not necessarily the best piece of original art to own, but it's called a very special carrot. And it's just four panels of the same picture of a, of a carrot. First panel, nothing said. Second panel, nothing said. Third panel, nothing said. It's just a carrot lying on the table. And the final palette goes, oh, wait, no, it's just a normal carrot. And it, it's just a great example of that sort of slightly absurdist nonsense humour that, that Squid Bits does so well. And so for me, it would be that it's on page 31 of this collection. It's an early uh, page of Squid Bits, which, yeah, Jess Bradley is just... Uh, I don't know how you've got the ability to churn out those sort of gags literally week in, week out. It, I just can't. I can't imagine a brain that's able to work that sort of humour that quickly. It's astonishing stuff. Love it. Fantastic stuff. How about yourself? Well, I was. I, I thought I was going to pick a Chris Riddell cartoon because just because I'm a fan of his, but I'm actually sticking with 
Jess Bradley and Squid Bits and page, I think it's one page 161. It is President Dog. Um, <laughs> and it's another fart joke. It is. <laughs> um, and I was just very impressed with that one, with uh, President Dog being asked to speak at a very important summit, and it's a fart joke. Um, it is. We should never have voted yeah. for a dog just because he looked cute wearing a tie. And, and you get a, a red panda nature's jerk as well. I do, yes, exactly. And I really, they had, they, uh, Jeff Bradley, on this issue, he has like these little, do you remember how Jamie Hewlett or, or, or asked of that elk with always just a little side drawing yes. of, of, of things going on? That is a common feature in, in Squid Bits. And there's, there's just, it's just so daft. There's a, there's a little, outside the panels, there's a little doodle of a, a slug saying, I feel sluggish. Just daft, pointless, silly humour, but it just, it works. And yeah, that's a great page. That is a very, very good page. So, <laughs> in the olden days, if you could afford a hat, you, if you couldn't afford a hat, we used a crab. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yeah. And, and yeah. It, it's a it's a lovely lovely volume. It, it, although a Chris Riddle page, I must admit, would be very exciting. Very exciting and very expensive. Mm. Yes, in the olden days, as you say, that panel is in black and white, which reminds me of the Calvin and Hobbes gag, where his dad is trying to convince Calvin that in the old days everything was really in black and white. <laughs> <laughs> until until I um, my kids read Calvin and Hobbes, we discussed earlier. I, I used to try to use that as a as a as I to tell them that you know the fact that. It's that great one we said about colour photographs got coloured in when it switched over. When we switched over to colour, yeah. <laughs> so, Colin, we've given a, a sort of overview, a brief overview of over 600 issues of The Phoenix. Um, go and get yourself some Bunny versus Monkey. If you've got kids in the right age group, um, get them The Phoenix. Uh, it is just wonderful. I've had great fun with it. And uh, I may be going into my local bookshop to see what collections they've got. I'm glad, I'm glad you. I'm really glad you enjoyed it because it, it is great to hear that. As I say, I'm going to carry on the subscription when the kids decide that they're too cool for it. Um, Fantastic! I bet, I bet they'll come back in their twenties and go, "Have you still got those comics, Dad?" I go, "Yeah, but they're mine now, so they're in other <laughs> bags." So you've got to be careful when you're reading them. We are. We're. We're both suckers for a fart gag, obviously. Uh, <laughs> Who's not? Yeah. Splendid stuff. So that is The Phoenix. As we say, this was Colossal Collection Volume 1. Um, you can find it fairly readily and the other two, and you'll find lots of other stuff in your local bookshop. We turn to guest projects, Colin, and talking about making rods for our own backs, <laughs> you have started a project on the 2080 forums that is going to take you at least the next two years, I think? Yeah, Bits, I reckon. Tell us about your colossal, uh, completely self-absorbed countdown that you've done. Yeah, so I, 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 I've got a sort of thread on the on the forum because I, I, I do things on the forum. I like to keep the forum. I like to have something on going in the forum just to to, 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 to stick my own in. Uh, I started a thread called the completely self-absorbed top one hundred comic runs that you need to read. No one needs to read these. The, the important bit to remember is the self-absorbed bit. This is just my opinion. And uh, basically, I, I saw a, one of these online videos, really great, from a, a great YouTube channel called Cartoonist Kayfabe, uh, and they did the top 100 from the Comics Journal. And I did that thing that you always, well, sorry, I take ownership, that I always do when I see anything that's a top list of X, Y, and Z. I go, well, that's wrong. That's not right. That's, you know, you wouldn't have this here. Why have you got that included? That's not even a comic book. That's a political cartoon. That's different. And so I just said, stop doing that. Do it. Have a go. So I just thought I'd just write out my top 100 
comics. And I literally just got a bit of paper and started writing down a big list uh, and got my long list. Uh, and then I tried to order it and I tweaked it and I meddled and I fiddled and I twiddled. And eventually I realized that the only way to actually get a top 100 list is to just stop messing about and you've got your list. So I stopped messing about, had my list. Um, and I also realized that 100 is an utterly arbitrary number. And so I started the countdown at 133, yeah. uh, posting a couple of weeks. To, to, so what I do is the actual idea of this is I like the, – the two four has always been a place where – it's like a journal from a comic reader. And I always like to, to talk about comics in, in, in its broadest sense. And I, But what I've never really understood is why I love or enjoy the comics that I do. And so this idea of if I, if I do this list, one, you've done it, make something of it, do something it's great to do on the forum because I love doing things on the forum because it's such a lovely crowd of people there and you get such great feedbacks and thoughts and commentary. And um, so I just thought, well, for each one, I'll just write up what was meant to be a short little entry, giving some context, but also trying to examine in, in my own head, just for my own sake, why I like it, to try to understand what it is about different comics that, that I like and I enjoy and, and that, that I love as, as, as we go on. Um and so, yeah, so I'm, I'm putting out two of them a week. They're, they're longer than I ever thought. They're not dead long, hopefully. Hopefully they're not intrusively long. But they're, they're, they're reasonably long. Gives a little bit of information about them. Tells people where they can get them. Explains what they are. But more functionally for me, helps me try to process this concept of why I like particular comic books over other comic books and, and, and whatnot. Keeping it on topic, there will be. Probably by the time this comes out... There'll be the first Phoenix entry with a few more to come. Oh, the way. excellent! Um, but yeah, and it, I, I just really enjoy doing it. It's, it's. I don't do it for any. I'm doing it on the two thousand forum. I'm not doing it to get an audience. I'm doing it because I enjoy the process of thinking about comics. I don't think there's any need for the B two B. There's podcasts like this that could think so much better than I ever would. There's enough YouTube channels out there. I'm not doing it for that. I'm doing it just because I enjoy the process of writing and thinking about comics. And it, it, yeah, there's also that useful process of, of just keeping your brain ticking over and helping you. People keep saying they've bought things after I've made recommendations, which is a bit embarrassing because you don't want other people spending money based on what you said. But the stupid thing is, I've ended up buying things about things that I've, oh, I've not read that. And I, why, why I've not read that should probably be on the list. That's something that people talk about as a classic piece of work. So this list is costing me money somehow. <laughs> which I've never quite worked out. But I really enjoy it, and it's there, and it's if people want to read it, come along. It's called uh, it's on the Timothy Forum, which is as genuinely is a lovely place to talk about comics generally. I say I've, I've been using it as, as my journal for my thoughts on comics for, for years now, and it's called The Completely Self-Absorbed Top 100 Comic Runs, uh, and I think it did 112 was released today. So I'd say the Top 100 bit is a little bit fictional. And spoilers... That original 133, I've added at least five to that of things that I've, oh, I can't not have that in, and I've dropped things in, or I've read one that I've read since I've started writing the list up, so I thought that's actually good enough to go in. So I think I've added at least five already to that list. Um, so, yeah, but it's fun. I enjoy it. Well, you'll find it in the Books and Comics sub-forum on the 2000 forums. You'll find it in the show notes for this episode as well, a link to it. As you say, today... As we record, uh, number one, one, two, number one hundred and twelve has just come out, I think, which is um, Human Target Final Cut from uh, DC, but of course written by Peter Milligan, who we've been That's talking right. about recently. Yep. And you've got in each in each entry, you have some uh, representative art samples. You have a mini essay about the run. 
And then you've got stuff like where to find it, how it's collected, some other articles, links to other stuff. It's quite comprehensive, each article. Can I, can I just say, it's very flattering they call it a mini-essay. It's blathering from a person that just <laughs> doesn't know when to stop talking about comics, is, is the honest truth of the matter. But bless your soul for calling it a, a mini-essay. It, it, it's very good. It, and, and if people read it and feel that, then lovely. I, yeah, I just don't know when to stop typing. <laughs> I mean, it's not just you're not just listing these uh, titles, these runs. You're actually no. setting out your reasons why yeah. these are um, runs. You've got your own self-imposed rules and guidelines. I'm interested. You see, you've also got thoughts on what will not be on the list. I think you have to because if you if, if the point of the exercise is to discuss what you like about comics, half of that is understanding the comics that people regard as brilliant. Yeah. For very valid reasons, it's not about saying I'm right, they're wrong. It's about saying, well, what is it about this acknowledged piece of wonder that doesn't work for me? And that's half the, for me, actually, if I'm honest, I probably enjoy writing those ones more, except you get a little bit defensive. There's one I've got coming up relatively soon that I know I'm going to write, which I'm not going to say too much about, but I'm almost dreading writing it because you can almost sense the, the pitchforks being pulled out as torches are lit as I'm ran out of Comics Town for writing it. It's not Watchmen, by the way. Right, Watchmen, totally It's not Watchmen. Watchmen will be on the list at some point, but it follows straight after Watchmen. Let's put it that way. And it, yeah, and, and so, but I quite enjoy that process, not to be snarky, but just to try to understand what it is about a medium that I spend so much of my life absorbed in what it is that works for me in it. And it's, it's a really nice, for me, at least utterly self-absorbed way of doing it, but then sharing it with people. And what I really want to encourage, and I've not had any of these yet, so even if you fancy doing it, it's just for people to drop in their top 10 or their top 20 or just do a little, I don't expect to do any write-ups because I love that idea of one, discovery, finding out what other people like, but two, also the, just the idea, and that's what's great about a 2 the audience, is you have very, very contrasting reads. You bring different things to what they read and what they want and so if i can start i'm gonna start pushing that a little bit hard not pushing it do what people will god why would they add to that friend but i'm going to encourage try to encourage a couple of them to drop in because i think that'll really spark up some of the conversations around what other people get from comics and that will help you reflect on things in ways that i'm not fantastic well look in the show notes for this episode for a link to the 2080 forums and uh Colin's completely self-absorbed top 100 comic runs you need to read, um, which, as you say, has expanded beyond the 100. But <laughs> Well, you know, 100's just a number. Why, why choose 100? It's arbitrary. It's an arbitrary at the end. <laughs> and okay. at the bottom, join the 2080 forums. Hit at the bottom. You can hit the rece- receive alerts thing so you get updates when there's new posts. Uh, they're very comprehensive posts. And I've just scrolled back to number 115 which is one of my favourite comic book runs and so um, it was Craven's Last Hunt so isn't that a great story that's possibly the best Spider-Man story I I absolutely agree it's the only one that makes the list yeah so great stuff Colin well I will put a link to that and uh, I wish you well on the venture over the next year and a bit that's going to take you to finish that a little bit like you'll, you'll have finished your, uh, your, your coverage of every British comic book by the time. It's very kind of you to say so. I don't think I will. But <laughs> it's a little bit like Alec Frith's doing his uh, 2080 All Stars, as in uh, his yeah. account on his blog. So this is great. So go to the 2080 forums, join up, and join in the fun, and you can be. Is he doing two minds yet? Uh, we've done that. 
Oh, you did, didn't you yeah, say yeah, apologies? Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, we did. No, we did. We met up in the pub. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. Colin, thank you again. We we had to rearrange times due to to me messing you about, but we finally got it done, and we've got the Phoenix ticked off the list. Uh, great fun. I'm off to find a bunny versus monkey collection. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Great, and absolutely. And also, as I say, it worked out well for me that it was changed. So, so there's absolutely nothing to apologise for. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Great stuff. Thank you, Colin. And thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. Find links to everything, including to Colin's projects on megacitybookclub.com. Follow the podcast on all the social media. That's Facebook, Instagram, Threads, Mastodon, Blue Sky. We're probably on Bunny and Monkey by now and Squid Bits. And also find us at the 2008 forums or email me mcbcpodcast at gmail.com. And that will do us. Until next time when we're passing judgment on another great book, it's a goodbye from me and... The good night from him. Wow.